Assalamu alaikum everyone. Welcome to the Umenta talk show um, from Umoja Outreach Foundation. We host this talk show every week at 3 p.m. And this week we have Sister Nadia Zaidi, who is an immigration attorney that will be joining us uh, today. Today's talk show is brought to you by Women's Healthcare. Nadia, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. How are you? Not bad. How are you? How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Thanks for joining the show. Really excited to hear, hear about your story, just like we've had a lot of different stories over the last couple of weeks. Thank you. I'm excited to share. So Nadia, you, um, you're an immigration attorney, you know, and uh, oftentimes, you know, the first question that you probably get asked is, what is that? So why don't we start with that question first? Sure. So as an immigration attorney, I represent clients in a variety of immigration-based applications or petitions before um, United States agencies, including the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS, as well as the Department of State. I, in my practice, I deal with mostly affirmative applications. So that means people who are applying for immigration benefits. There are also immigration attorneys, attorneys that are litigators and they defend individuals in deportation proceedings, asylum proceedings um, as well. So I, I personally do not handle those types of immigration matters, but I focus more on business and family-based applications. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. So how did how did you get make your way into immigration or even first law then immigration? Yeah, so I entered law school uh, thinking that I would like to um, work in the international development space or for an international human rights or humanitarian organization or NGO. Uh, after I started law school, I took a variety of different courses, including in human rights and including in immigration as well. And I really liked the way that immigration was hands-on, that you had direct contact with your clients and that you were able to provide them with a service where you could see the result fairly, fairly quickly. So for my personality, that was more fitting than you know some of the work that I had been exposed to in human rights, which was also very very interesting, but a little bit um, a little bit more in the academic space than you know a hands on sort of practice like immigration is. So I ended up take you know taking an advanced immigration course, and then I I did many internships while I was in law school. I worked for a small immigration practice. I worked for the largest immigration practice, perhaps I think in, in the world now, um, it's probably the largest firm, uh, so that I could be exposed to what it's actually like to work in the field practicing immigration. And then I made my decision that that was what I would focus on. So that's, uh, so that's pretty interesting. So if you, if you were to describe immigration law relative to other types of, of you know, law, Mm -hmm. um, you probably would see that this is more hands-on. Uh, yes. And, and is, so it's both hands-on and also gives you the results. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, so you, exactly. So you probably deal with a, lot, a very big range of different cases. Um, mm -hmm. 
and mostly, you know, the immigration is such a big topic, especially in the United States. Yeah. Um, so what does your typical day really look like? So I'll give you, you know, a quick overview, just adding in the fact that, you know, I've been out of law school now for over 10 years. And initially, you know, for the first part of my career, I worked for other firms. So that was a really important part of my training. Um, and so when I was at a firm, my day was day to day was very different than it is now where I'm running my own practice. So right now I'm wearing two hats. I'm an immigration lawyer, but I'm also a business owner. So there's, um, you know, so my day is really broken up into business development things as well as law practice, if that makes sense. But before I talk about that, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what it's like working at an immigration law firm. So that also depends on how big the firm is that you're working for. There are lots of wonderful, talented, intelligent immigration lawyers that run smaller practices. And by small, I mean, they might have five to 10 attorneys. And then there's Fragman, which is the firm that I started practicing with when I came out of law school. And Fragman is a very large corporate immigration law firm. They, they handle Fortune 500 clients. It's a primarily business uh, immigration practice and they operate as a large law firm does. So, you know, day to day there is, is, you know, how law firm life is in the beginning where you're putting in a lot of hours, you're getting in at, you know, eight or 9 a.m., you're, you're staying in the office late, you're handling a large volume of cases. But the good thing about Fragment and about immigration was that you are immediately thrown into casework. So you're, you're not, you know, whereas a corporate lawyer, you hear a lot of complaints that you're not really getting uh, client contact or you're not really getting to work on uh, bigger projects. In, in immigration, you, you do. You get thrown in. You get to handle cases uh, very quickly. You do get client contact fairly quickly as well. So that was life there. Uh, if you work at a smaller firm, it's similar. You're working long hours and you're probably, you know, doing a large volume of cases as well, but you might also be responsible for other aspects of running a smaller practice. And that could include client intake. It, it could include networking uh, as well. So you have to sort of think about that. And then finally running my own practice, as I mentioned, I, I do casework and I'm I manage paralegals that are working on cases that I've assigned to them, but then I also do business development things. So that could include networking with other lawyers, attending uh, professional development seminars, doing things like this talk show, um, you know, which is pro professional development mentorship for people interested in the law, and then my own educational uh, development activities. So keeping abreast of U U.S. immigration law is uh, a thing in and of itself, because as you know, there's pending legislation, there's new laws coming out. So I hope I didn't say too much. <laughs> that should give you an overview. No, that's totally fine. I mean, that's, um, you know, I was going to get into that in a little bit later part of the segment. Yeah. Um, but if I want to take a step back, right, and, mm -hmm. um, and you talked about business immigration, Mm -hmm. um, so, of course, you know, first of all, there is law and then there, there are so many different you know, segments within law yes. and there is immigration law yes. uh, within immigration law. When you when you talk about business immigration, yes, is that that is probably different from others. If you yes. want to elaborate on that. Right. So business immigration means 
in immigration cases where you, you have an employer that is sponsoring an employee. So your client is the employer. So that could be Walmart, it could be Goldman Sachs, it could be a small construction company, it could be a university, it could be any one serving as an employer who is sponsoring an employee who is a foreign national. So that's business immigration. There's a variety of types of employment-based sponsorship. There's H-1Bs, L-1s, E's, O's, and so, and green card. There's also an employer-sponsored green card process. So, so that is what we are talking about when we talk about business immigration or people starting their own business here in the U.S. So that, that's also included in, in what we mean. Um, as well as artists and people who are working creative capacities, they also need an employer here in the U.S. to sponsor them in most cases so that they can work here. Okay, so basically it's um, the, the second part you said is almost like, you know, you also, from a business perspective, if there is a creative or an artist or something that you, mm -hmm. those cases would also come to you. That's exactly right. Yes. So they, they, it would be someone who's a creative, they have a job opportunity here in the United States, and they need the right work authorization, the right visa, so that they can pursue that opportunity. So that's where, where I would come into the picture to help them sort that out. So you know, the, oftentimes you probably get this questions a lot, um, is how did you know that you wanted to be a lawyer first? you kind of described a little bit about why immigration law was very interesting. Mm -hmm. But even to make the decision to make uh, for especially our listeners who are, you know, in their teens or early 20s. Um, yes. If you can share a little bit light on that. Yeah, sure. Um, I think like many South Asian, uh, you know, families, I was encouraged to enter the field of medicine in early on when I was in high school. And I actually kind of liked that idea. And I, um, when I entered university, I was actually pre-med. So I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but I also had a part of me that really, really enjoyed reading and writing. And I, I was, um, you know, I, I liked writing articles. I liked writing short stories and, and whatnot, but I didn't really see that, or I wasn't really programmed to see that as a career. Um, so it was a bit confusing, but once I started my pre-med classes, I, um, I realized very quickly that it was probably not the right path for me. And so then I started looking at what, what some other options might be. And now keep in mind, I, I'm, I was like 18 years old at the time. And so th this type of a thing, I wish I had more, more mentorship so that I knew more about different fields, which I didn't really... So then I looked into journalism, I looked into English. I always wanted to pursue higher education. So I, I knew I didn't just want to get an undergraduate degree. And law was something that I felt like would give me access to many different types of careers. So as I mentioned, foreign service, uh, diplomacy, international relations, international human rights. And those were all areas I found to be really interesting because I grew up um, living in Pakistan when I was very young and then my formative years living in Kuwait with my family and we were expats there. So I was exposed to sort of a more international um, upbringing. And so that was attractive to me. And I, I think that's something very personal. Different people might be interested in different areas because of their own background or 
um, you know, how they've been mentored or, or raised. So that's really how, why. And, and law was also something that was, you know, my parents liked the idea too, because obviously it, it's law, <laughs> you know, like every congressperson, senator, president has a law degree. So it wasn't something that they would say, oh, well, what value will that hold? So I think that also impacted my decision. Yeah, so that's really interesting. How did, so when you made the decision to go into law from pre-med, um, of course, you know, the, there is always a family pressure and such, but in this case, what you described is that your family is very supportive. Mm -hmm. Yes, they were supportive of, of me deciding to do, to do law, and they actually saw that, that it would be a better fit for me personally also. Um, so when I applied to law school, you know, it was sort of, it, it all just happened pretty naturally. So oftentimes for, you know, for women um, and in the practice of law, it may be daunting from a work-life balance. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, medicine is no, not much less. Mm -hmm. but, um, is that a, was that a serious consideration for you as well? It was not, and I wish that I had thought it through <laughs> more <laughs> um, in that regard. I have lots of thoughts on this, but you're right. It's, it is, that, that is a big consideration. And I think in law, it's much more complicated to figure out that balance. Law school, like medical school, is very expensive. So if you are planning to go to law school and somebody is paying for it, like your parents are paying for it or whatever, then fine, you're not, you don't have to take the cost and, and perhaps any student loans you might have to take out into consideration. But if you are getting into debt to go to law school, it's not like medicine where you're, and you know what your entry level income will be for the most part, depending on your area of specialization. In law, it's very competitive to get into a top firm where you're earning the type of salary that matches the kind of money you've paid to go to law school. Does that make sense so far? So if you're going to go to law school, you have to think through what your income potential will be, how much debt you're going to have. And then if you do start a family and you want to scale down, how that's going to affect your, you financially. Yeah, so I think that's um, that's that's quite interesting. So you talked a little bit about the uh, the challenges financially as well like going into law school. Mm -hmm. A lot of our listeners, when they when they consider going into university and an education of you know higher education, that's a serious consideration and oftentimes pretty much a, a showstopper. Yes, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yes, I I mean I think there's a lot of different ways you can approach it if you if you are aware that you want to go to law school or any type of graduate school, then you know there are options out there to get scholarships. Um, if you have a very high LSAT score, you can potentially get um, a consider considerable scholarship from different law schools. Um, or if you decide to take a year or two off to save up, save some money to help pay for part of that tuition, um, that's something else to take into consideration. Because if you want to go to law school and you 
are going to rely on student loans for the entire um, education, then you have to think about what area of law you want to practice in. If you want to be a public defender, you're going to make, you know, $50,000 a year, if even that, and you might have $200,000 of debt. So that's something that is, that you, sh you know, people should think about. Yeah, so if, you, if anyone has just joined in, we're uh, on the Umenta talk show, which we host every uh, Saturday at 3 p.m. Um, today, we have uh, Nadia Zaidi, who is an immigration lawyer with us. And uh, so far, she's shared with us how she got into it, a little bit of background about different types of um, different segments within immigration law. Um, so if you've missed so far any part of the show, you can always catch it on the podcast. So Nadia, we go back to you. Um, so you talked a little bit about the different types of scholarships and the different types of, um, you know, maybe even loans that are, you know, available today. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of our listeners, that shouldn't be any particular big challenge, especially when you come from an international background, right? I think you came from a different part of the country, a different part of the world. Yes. And you came here and you still pursued it, uh, yes. despite the challenges that you normally would have. Mm -hmm. So we do have a question from, uh, from the crowd here, from our listeners. Um, so I'll probably go to that and then come back to you. Sure. So the first question is, how has your experience living outside the US influenced the way you approach your job? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think that living outside of the US, I'm, I guess I've been exposed to people that come from many walks of life, many different places, people I would have never met if we hadn't all ended up, um, you know, living where we were. And so now when I meet clients, I'm interested in their story and, you know, why they want to work here in the United States, why they want to live here, how long they might want to live here, um, and just sort of talk them through that vision, um, realizing that, you know, there, that there's like a whole wide world out there and not everybody actually wants to just live here forever. There are people that want to just come here and work here for two, three years and then go back to their country or go live somewhere else. And so I think it does open up the world, uh, definitely. And it, it does make me more curious about people's uh, visions and, and plan for their life and how I can help them achieve it. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because I think having that international background a little bit will give you that perspective of the bigger world out there. Yes. Um, and probably more sympathetic towards people wanting to go back. Absolutely. So in terms of your, uh, you know, your experience thus far, at some point in your life, you decided to pursue your own business. Mm -hmm. If you can walk us through a little bit of that mindset, is, was that the right solution that you were looking for? Uh, yes. Definitely. I think after I had children of my own, I realized that I did need to have a little bit more control, but I didn't want to give up my career at the same time. And, and I also had a drive for business. I was excited to have my own practice, run it the way I wanted and, and have the kind of clients I wanted to bring in. So doing that has helped me at least have some flexibility around my schedule and how I structure my day-to-day -day, as well as, you know, whether I want to 
scale up or scale back and how many clients I want to take on at a given time. It's been, it's so far, you know, it's been a good experience. So you touched on a little bit earlier in your, um, in your discussion around keeping up with the law laws that are changing, especially, you know, in the U S there's a lot of that. So how much of your time do you spend on with your clients or even like probably more continuing education type? Yeah, I think it's a balance. So there's not, you know, always, I wouldn't say that continuing education is a, is day to day, even though it kind of is because if there's any alerts or, or news or updates, I do receive them and then I do reach out to colleagues and we talk about them. Or if there's a particularly complex case I'm handling and there's something happening with the law, um, I will reach out to colleagues to discuss it and what the best approach might be for it. So it is collaborative in that sense. And, and I am part of a few business immigration groups, the American Immigration Lawyers Association. So I have a group of other lawyers who are sharing their own experiences with the same types of cases I'm working on. And so I think of that as, as you know, continuing education as well, because we are actually learning from each other based on how our cases are being adjudicated. And then formal uh, continuing education, and I do as well. So that's in the form of attending CLEs, um, listening to audio recordings of areas of law that I want to to learn more about. So it's definitely a mix, and it it, it depends on really what's happening in the law, what my caseload is like. Question I had for you is. Um, you know, you, you, can, you are giving others um, an opportunity to basically give them global mobility. Um, so this actually is stemming from another question that came from, the, from our listeners who are, and maybe to give you a little bit of more explanation around the question before we get to the question itself. Um, so you're giving others global mobility and how much is, does this, this role give you global mobility? Is this something that you can take Go to UK and start working there, for instance. Yes, yeah, so immigration law in the United States is a federal practice. So I can, within the United States, I can live anywhere. As long as I'm licensed to practice law in at least one state, I can practice from many states. So I could tomorrow take my practice and move to California from New York and, and run my practice from there. Um, similarly, I could, you know, go live in another country in the world and still run an immigration practice uh, in the United States, I would just need to rely more heavily on, on postal service to file my applications. But even now I, I have clients that are all over the world and um, many of whom I don't have a chance to meet in person. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So it does. Um, and it, it, it is flexible in that way. So I do feel that I, I'm not necessarily tied to one location. So, you, so you, I think maybe to you, you'll have to elaborate on that a little bit. So when you're saying, basically, it's not that you're taking your particular, um, uh, in, you know, immigration experience and you're helping clients in, let's say, the UK, where there are people trying to immigrate to the UK, you're actually uh, taking a different way where you may be working in the UK, but actually helping clients immigrate to the US. Is that, is that 
That's right. Yes. Yes. So I could be living in London, but still helping people um, get employment visas for the United States. Yeah, so that's that's really really interesting. I've never, um, I've never, I would not have thought of it that way. But that's a very good, interesting business proposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think you know, in um, you know, from for our listeners, as you kind of take look look at the next wave of different types of law and such, I mean, would you say immigration is going to be you know continue to be as challenging and exciting? Um, and in particular for the US, um, as far as you know, others are trying to get into this particular field. Yes, absolutely. I think that it's definitely, there's always going to be, I think, a demand for uh, people trying to come to the US for different reasons. And so there will always be a, you know, law and laws in place in order to um, handle those processes and and it's changing there's you know there's legislation happening around different issues that that we're having right now and as those laws develop and change I think that there there will always be a need for immigration lawyers and lawyers that are practicing now are probably going to see their own practices change in the next two five or ten years so I think it will definitely continue to be an area that will be interesting and, um, you know, filled with challenges as well. Yeah, thanks a lot, Nadia. That, that's, um, that's, that's quite interesting um, in terms of how you look at it as well. Um, so, you know, before we, uh, we, start, we try and wrap up the call, um, a couple of things, maybe we take a pause and, um, you know, just, uh, advise our listeners about different things that Rumoja Outreach Foundation is doing at the moment. Um, we have the academy running in about six cities. So if you are ever interested in the academy programs that are running, just go onto our website, www.umojaoutreach.org academy, and you'll see all the cities that we have. If there's a city that you want an academy started, just reach out to us. Uh, the Umoja Games, which is held in Detroit this year, um, which is the largest uh, soccer tournament uh, that we do have. And if you're interested in that, you can also find that on our website as well. So Nadia, if we go back to you, um, you know, as, as we're trying to wrap up the program, um, you know, any important advice that you would like to leave with our listeners? Just, you know, keep on doing what you're doing in terms of gaining more information about the careers you're interested in. Don't hesitate to reach out to people within your communities or even outside of your communities to, to learn more about their careers and their path. Ask questions and do your research before you make any decisions. All right, actually, you know what, just we have one more minute and just one more question came in. So let me ask you that before we wrap up, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, the question really is that in law, is it really um, different types of law that you do take? Is it a function of, you know, your, your, you know, you have to make a decision based on your grades or you actually can go full in and then decide as you go? You can decide what area of law you want to practice. Um, you, in law school, there's required courses in almost every area of law. Immigration was an elective. So there's also electives. And so you can decide to take courses in tax law, immigration law, um, international trade, you know, you know what I mean? So 
you don't have to ma major in anything in law school. You can take courses as you go. And when you graduate, you can, you know, apply for jobs in whichever type of legal field you would want to work in. Well, that's a really good question to end, to, to end our show as well, because it's almost like you can start, out, start with something in more general and make a decision as you're taking your courses and as you kind of the, the time is really shifting. Yes. All right, cool. So, um, you know, thanks so much, uh, Nadia, for taking the call and joining the show. Um, if uh, for anyone that missed the show, you can always catch the show uh, via our podcast. Just go to, uh, you know, via podcast, you can search for your mentor and you'll find it there. And it's also on SoundCloud if you are not an Apple user. So we're going to wrap up the call for today. Uh, today's show was brought to you by Women's Healthcare. And, um, and we had Nadia Zaidi, who's an immigration attorney with us, who shared her old story. All right, until next week, thanks so much and you know, be well. Thanks. Thank you.